2: Or perhaps you're just overwhelmed with all of the editing work. Well, we can help you with that also. You can contact us at info at weknowpodcasting.com for more information. We're excited to help your podcasting dreams become a reality. hey dylan hey matt uh we got a special guest on this week do you want to talk yeah
1: so our guest today is honestly one of the most hardworking independent artists out there currently he comes from that nerdcore hip-hop realm but is also just an incredibly well-rounded musician he's an amazing lyricist dropping songs basically weekly honestly if you're an anime fan he definitely needs to be added to your daily playlist right this second But not only that, he's an accomplished trombonist contributing to many different projects. Notably, he's a member of the Marcus Lewis Big Band, which I implore, our audience, pause this podcast right now, go to your preferred streaming service, and add Brass and Bougie to your library. I mean, it's an incredible big band jazz and hip-hop fusion record. I play it in my classroom all the time. People of the world, Kadesh Flow, how are you today, Kadesh? What's up? I'm great. How are y'all? (laughs) <laughs> fantastic man fantastic it's
2: going well man it's going well at the time that this is dropping it's early march we're talking a james brown christmas song that i've never heard before oh my god yeah me neither hey this song is great and b i mean we also want to talk about what this song means to you so let's let's dive in what so tell us this james brown song that you had us check out
4: this song is called santa claus go straight to the ghetto it's a very, I think, meaningful song because it highlights disparities, both from a socioeconomic background standpoint and from a racial standpoint. But it's also a really absurd song. <laughs> 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 and it's James Brown. So he's like, hey,
2: a Santa Claus! It's,
3: you know, so that's, it's, it's yeah. actually
2: like a very subdued James Brown to me. Yeah, yeah. And this was very Motown-ish in its musical composition.
4: Well, yeah, it's way more uh, somber James Brown as compared to like Party Celebrate the vibe and the groove, James Brown. Growing up, it was something that my mom always played during the holidays. You know, there's all like the happy joy, joy, Christmas songs. And then it was, you know, this song was always in ro- rotation, and it always stood out to me, because it's still James Brown, so it still has a level of ridiculousness to it, just because it's him and his voice and his, his energy and how it comes to things. But as the older I got, the more I really thought about why a song like that is necessary and why it's really important, and how critical it is to have that in a holiday rotation. Generally speaking, songs about the holidays are things that you either, are songs where you forget about all the bad things in the world. And you just think about this, you know, this is a season cheerful and giving and the songs that are dealing with Things that are bad about the world are really general and kind of like not believable. Like the
3: Sir, I wanna buy these shoes for my mama, please. It's Christmas Eve.
1: Like that's a really sweet song, but it's not I think I think we found our I think we found our uh, Christmas shoes guest. For sure. We cover Christmas shoes.
4: (laughs) It's just not a super believable song, and you get tired of it like. After the first time you hear it, or at least I, I do.
1: That's what I like about this song. The first time that I heard it was it's bringing eyes to that disparity, but also it's not like falsely
2: tugging at your heartstrings
1: like Christmas shoes is. It's, it's not fake. It's not
2: false. I, I felt like when I was listening to it, the song that it made me think of that I was familiar with is the Santa baby cover that like, Onyx and Snoop Dogg and Run DMC and all them did. Yeah,
1: and songs like that don't get a highlight. We kind of touched on this during our first few episodes, Matt, that Christmas means a lot of things to different people, and a lot of those things aren't always positive.
2: Yeah, you grew up, you said, with your mom playing this song very frequently.
1: Was this song a hit? I am not sure
4: how well it did from a chart perspective. I do know... That James Brown released three Christmas albums, if I'm not mistaken, and his estate or his label or
1: whichever pulled together all of them to form James Brown's funky Christmas. Which has the strangest Apple Music cover like I've ever seen. It's like it's like a terribly photoshopped picture of James Brown's face. It's really bad. Like (laughs) word art.
4: (laughs) it's garbage.
1: Yeah. <laughs> but it was
4: but that was in the mid to late 90s and it was a compilation of all his great all I guess what they thought were his best the best songs from those three albums and it's like 17 or 18 tracks or something. And this song was on it. So I'm assuming it did well enough to be considered in that running. It's the only Christmas song from James Brown that I actually can recall and remember even though a lot of them when you run through that album a lot of them sound familiar to me this one's the only one i can
2: actually remember remember
1: well that's the thing it's just a well composed song too like overall. yeah this is going
2: on future yeah. christmas mixes for me for sure yeah. i loved this song
1: <laughs> and and i'm shocked because not not knowing that james brown put out three christmas albums and i'm I, like he's not the first person that comes to mind when i hear like christmas musicians christmas artists And now I'm like, all right, I need to go check out all three of these records, because as soon as this song ends, I listened to I went to A Soulful Christmas, which was his I think it was his first Christmas album. And the song that comes after this Santa Claus, Santa Claus, that that like bluesy piano line. I'm like, all right, this is my shit. I'm adding like all this to my fucking
2: mixes. So I'm about it. You raise a good point because you have to sit there and think like. James Brown has three Christmas albums. Yeah. yeah, But like when November rolls around, all the memes are like, oh, it's time for Mariah Carey and Michael Buble who put out one each. One. That's it. Yeah. They did one album. <laughs> I mean, just I don't know if y'all are aware
4: of this, but a lot of people put out Christmas music every year to the point where like every streaming service I've ever, every, distri- every digital distribution service uh, platform I've been a member of or a part of, they actually set dates ahead of time where you have to get your Christmas music in by this point or it won't come out because there are this many people submitting Christmas music. And it's the only time they do that, like literally ever, because there are that many people that are like, hey, you know, like uh, some like, some of the homies and I've put out a song like this year or last year and in 2019, it's like the worst traction I've ever gotten on stuff because and i didn't i didn't know until doing it yeah like you just you're just in this like giant cacophony of releases
1: <laughs> so you do have a couple christmas songs uh taking a step away from james brown in my opinion if you're releasing christmas music christmas has to mean something to you what does christmas mean to you but lisa
4: aside you know, I did grew up, grow up, you know, definitely in a, like a Jesus is the reason for the season household. So just like from a tradition standpoint, that's there. More recently, as far as like adult life, it's kind of just seeing everybody because so many people come back. I mean, I've been in Kansas City for eight years now, so it's basically home or almost eight years and, you know, having people come back in the town and. A lot of the holiday gigs where people are just in a different, on a different vibe and a different energy is really special to me. And just, I'm in I'm a point of like redefining. I'm in like a life point of needing to redefine it because the relationship I was in for a long time ended right before Christmas, uh, around Thanksgiving, actually. And before that, it was basically uh, my partner and her mom and I. And the two years before that, so we were together for four and a half, but there were two years in that where there was one where I was like completely broke. I had just quit my job to do music full time. And a lot of stuff that I, I had planned that was supposed to be good for me financially just completely fell out. Um, so I had to refigure out. I had to, do a whole different strategy so i and uh, so it's like that was so christmas 2018 was a little bit better but still like kind of meager so it was just more of a time thing for me as, more so than a gifts thing but it was really it was really cool and really fun i think really with as a as a working musician the holidays are really prime time to try to get some end of the year brand especially right before the the winter months really kind of start to mess you up Winter 2018 was actually really good and I was very hopeful around the holidays because it was I had like figured out how to make money and a lot of all this crazy stuff had happened for me like I the marcus lewis big band that dylan mentioned we had just opened for janelle Monet, which marcus used to play for janelle Monet before he he was doing his own thing before this project so we had just opened for her um i hung out with like sharice davids backstage and she was one of the two first native american congresswomen to ever like be elected and it was like right before she got elected i had also just been in the studio with jadenna uh, playing on the album that he released in summer 2019 you know it felt really good and then it was the holidays and my ex's mom was in town her relatives were in town and it was just good it was just a good time right after that <laughs> that winter in Kansas City all the roads like were iced over all the time from like it was basically like January to March and pretty much all my gigs got canceled and I didn't have the financial I didn't have the cushion yet even though I was making money as a full-time working musician, I didn't have the cushion to survive that. And that really, really messed me up. So I'd say, honestly, the last... And I have similar stories uh, for the next couple years. So honestly, Christmas has been a respite before the crazy for me. But then this year, it was slightly different because Christmas uh, single like immediately after a breakup with somebody I thought I was going to spend the rest of my life with was really terrible. It's like one of the two worst days I've experienced in the last like six months. But then right after it was like, right before that, there were some level up things with regard to music for me. And then right after that, were there were some more re- level up things with regard to music To me, I say all that to say, I guess it's kind of been like a transitional situation for me. Cause this was the first year, like 2020, despite COVID, I actually, Got a lot of my financial stability back that I've been fighting for since 2018. And had COVID not happened, I would have been back at financial tech money, but as a full time musician, just with what I had set up. But even the, in spite of that, like I actually was able to get like decent gifts for people and like do things and not be worried about it from a financial standpoint, you know, and from like a safe, you know, socially distant, trying to be responsible sort of situation. It felt really good. But it was in the midst of a lot of chaos. So like, and it's not just with terms of my last relationship. It was also like in college was kind of like this too. Christmas presents a lot of duality to me. And I hope that doesn't always stay that way. But that's how it's been for like the last decade.
2: (laughs) There's something to be said what you're talking about there too, where this last year, I can't speak for Dylan, but I know I can speak for myself that while COVID has been very stressful uh, as it has been for everybody, there's almost in a weird way, like, a lot of things came forward in a positive way for me, almost to the point that I have like COVID survivors guilt, where it's like all of these people are going through like these really terrible things, but it's like, I really got my shit together with podcasting stuff. I launched a company, like I paid off my student loans, like all of this like amazing stuff happened because like COVID forced them to freeze my interest rates on my student loans. So I could like knock out those really easily. And it feels awesome that all these amazing things happened But then at the same time, there's that survivor's guilt where you're like, yeah, but we also have how many deaths and like how much terrible shit happened that you almost feel like I shouldn't be this excited. It's a very weird dynamic, and I feel like Christmas was that perfect month where I could actually like take in how happy I was with what I've been able to pull off. Because, like you said, I could buy gifts. Yeah. And
1: I, I kind of want to touch on what you were saying a few minutes ago, Desh, about your kind of the change in your Christmas celebration, specifically with the, the change of, of your life point, your relationship, because uh, our audience knows, and, and both of you know, I I also went through that change as well this past year and the traditions that I had, For the past eight or so years were completely different than what i did this year so i think even though you're you're saying like it was one of like the darker days of the year you you have such a positive outlook that i love your use of the word transition like you're it's a transitional period i think we create these new traditions Every year. And that's what I love about the season is like we may have these old traditions in our head, but we we constantly create new traditions, taking it back to music. So many artists are putting out new records. I always try to add new stuff to my my listening throughout the year. I always keep trying to add new things. And honestly, that's part of why Matt and I do this show is is we try to keep the, the Christmas spirit alive all year but we're also trying to show people new things
2: and you 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 guys in that whole nerdcore spectrum you're just putting out too much stuff at this point (laughs) you're putting out stuff all the time i feel like mega rand's got a new album every week
4: (laughs) yeah there's so much processing that writing music helps with like i'm working on a i'm finishing up an album uh, a follow-up to an ep i did actually in a hotel room at Magfest called room service I'm working on room service too, which was done like in mostly in the basement I used to live in with my former partner, just processing the year. And I just couldn't stop writing it. It was supposed to be another EP that was quick and we, we wanted to do it at Magfest and we just didn't have time and it turned into a thing, but I think right now everybody who tours is like, "Yo, the touring thing for small, the mid mid tier musicians isn't going to be back until 2022 in full force." Like people, I I am trying my best not to check the musicians I know who are like, "Oh, touring's about to come back," and I'm like, "It's going to come back." for the bigger touring artists, but they've lost a lot of money too. So what they're going to do is they are going to come down on what they normally play and probably play the venues that we normally play and just upsell the door. And people are going to pay it because they miss going to live music. So like, you're going to see people paying like $50 to see a super, you know, a decently famous band in like a a three to 500 cap venue as compared to see it paying like 25 to see them in a theater sort of thing. And we're still going to have to be finding alternative Performance venues and whatnot. I get it back to the content. This is like a long road to get to like the hey, musicians are dropping hella content right now. But the other <laughs> side of it is like Nerdcore in particular, Nerdcore shows have been doing like, you know, you can sign up or pay like $5 for this live stream, this show we're doing in this city you don't live in and can't come to for like years. I remember like. 2017 i just quit my job and ran took me on tour with him and alfred banks through the southeast which are my old stomping grounds there was this mega man 30th anniversary show in orlando that was like actually the first bill that i played on as an independent artist that actually sold out and had my name on the flyer didn't sell out because of me obviously it had like the megas and like bit brigade and ran and me but that joint it sold out like a 350 cap or something like that in orlando and uh the twit there was a twitch stream live streamed all of it that had like thousands of people on it so this is not new for the nerdcore space i think it's i think like covid forced like everybody else to catch up but it is a massive opportunity it puts power in the hands of the artist in a lot of senses because if a venue doesn't want to pay you you can be like all right well i'll just do this from my basement the live performance option aside you move into hey well i'm writing all the time I'm not performing stuff. Let's drop things. So the anime rap community specifically, it's funny because when I knew tours were gone, I immediately started putting out content. I spent three months putting out weekly content, but it was all different. I was basically throwing everything at the YouTube algorithm. A lot of the bigger players in anime rap and on YouTube right now, I'd say are way more aware of like Richie Branson than they were aware of me. But some of them were aware of me because like Richie and I were kind of, I, I would say doing this before it was cool, quote unquote. It was like Richie and Eddie Rath and Shizzy Six and unlike Joshua and me as far as like consistent YouTube anime rap in like 2011, 2012, 2013. The only person who really did it consistently and kept going with it at that level was NLJ. You know, Shizzy went full blown indie hip hopper. I got a corporate job. I didn't do the consistent uploads thing. And then I, I when I was settled into Kansas City, I was like, Hey, um, do I want to do be a YouTube musician or do I wanna build a touring platform? and do live shows cuz I can't do both with a corporate job there's not enough bandwidth and I chose the latter and Richie did what Richie did with the whole gaming and content thing and I have no idea what Eddie Raff did or is doing because he was the only one I actually didn't I didn't really interact with very much when it turned out when I was when the the after throwing stuff at the algorithm being like okay the anime rap thing is the thing that makes the most sense to jump back into ran kind of, ran kind of forced me back into it indirectly because we did ghouls and ghosts 4 and one of the songs we did was a horror cipher that had some big YouTubers on it. And Nimraps put the song on his Nerd Out channel that has 3 million subscribers. And then uh, DJ Cutman put You Look Sus on his Game Chops channel that has hella subscribers. And both of those songs, I was the only person that people didn't know. And people were like, who is this guy that did this dope verse? Like, who is that? And I was yeah. like, well, I guess it's time to jump back on the YouTube train right now. Yeah, I
2: hear that story, and I think Mega Rand you know, he has that song Rushmore where it's like he's hoping that he'll be the fourth face on Nerdcore Mount Rushmore. And it's like, motherfucker, you have introduced more <laughs> up-and-coming rappers to the masses than any other Nerdcore rapper. Like- and that's, it's so funny because, like, I can go through, like,
1: my most played artists, and probably 90% of them are people that, like— Rand brought up. The problem with with the that community to the outside world, and this is somebody who who Matt, we've talked about this before. It's been brought up on the podcast before, but this is somebody who grew up in the juggalo community and listened <laughs> to ICP and, and all that stuff. No matter how talented some of
2: those artists were. It was still like, oh, you're part of that community, which which drives me nuts because like you can't tell me that Wu Tang's first album isn't a nerdcore record. Yeah,
4: I'd argue that Lupe has two nerdcore albums. You know, yep,
2: and for sure.
4: To your point, Dylan, hey, that's totally true. I do think it goes both ways. I think the only the only time you get that criticism or like that, like you're out here because you're in this subgenre for as a nerdcore artist, is from other rappers or other people in hip hop. Mm-hmm. Everybody else I've encountered who's outside of the space that sees it thinks it's way more profitable than it is.
2: (laughs) No, no, I mean, (laughs) that's that's the funny, I I think of, uh, because I grew up as like a huge Christian music fan. And like, that's another genre where it's like, my favorite band of all time is Five Iron Frenzy. I've listened to Five Iron Uh, Frenzy all the time. The struggle with Five Iron was we were too punk for the church and we weren't, we were too Christian for... The basement shows. The flip side is that people are like, oh, well, you get into Christian music because you make a ton of money because like these big mega churches will book you. Like if you're Michael W. Smith or Kirk Franklin, but if you're MXPX, you're probably gonna have to make your money on the Warp Tour because like the church isn't gonna take a risk on kids moshing inside of it and damaging anything.
4: Yeah, it was it, <laughs> honestly sidebar. It's been really awesome over the last couple of years to see like Lecrae recognize the white supremacy in American Christianity and and then like start talking about it. And, and then have to deal with it because that really wrecked him. You, like, literally watched over a course of a few years him see the racism in, like, his fandom and then be like, yo, if you don't agree – if you're not, like, for, like, my life – Then you might as well just not support me, sort of situation, and have to process the reactions he got from that. I see that, like in the anime rap thing, like so. Actually, there's a a huge anime rapper. It goes by Daddy Fat Snaps, and another big, uh, pretty big guy, uh, Game Boy Jones. He did a song called Easy Bag, basically making fun of all the rappers who were like, "Oh, people just rap about anime because it's an easy way to make money." And they're like, "Are you crazy? I put out a song every week, and it's high quality, and there's an animated music video to it." And like, you know, these guys are basically in this situation where they're doing famous people numbers. They're not doing like superstar numbers, but they're doing like solidly famous crack billboard. Every album, you know, might catch a Grammy nomination every so often numbers, eight figure Spotify and Apple music streams annually and getting, you know, hundreds of thousands of views on everything they breathe on sort of thing. And it's like a huge thing and the space is huge and it's really supportive. Honestly, you know, for me, I jump back in, in November and like arguably the biggest person in the space featured me on a cypher and then another huge person in the space featured me on a song like immediately you know off of like either knowing who I was when I jumped back in or like um somebody recommending me to them when I jumped back in the space so like I'm building my stuff back up and it's super supportive and everybody engages on social media but it, it's hard but people think it's like this easy thing. Even people in Kansas City, when I first got here, it was a mix of people thinking, "Oh, he's actually dope," and "Oh, he only has a following because he does that nerd rap stuff," and like has automatic fans. So I don't really think that's a that that doesn't bother me at all, especially as somebody who literally like rap opens a door and then a door shuts and trombone opens that door and then the rap opens the door that shuts for the trombone
2: I remember interviewing the bassist for the band uh, Goaty Hook years mm-hmm. ago and we were talking about how there's this large amount of Christian artists who now are agnostic and atheist and what causes that and he said something that has stuck with me for 10 years which is it's a lot easier to keep going to church every Sunday when you're not working for the church Woo! Yeah, that was good. That was good. I think that that falls into so much of the entertainment industry as well. Is like it's a lot easier to love filmmakers when you're just sitting in the theater watching their movie. It's a lot harder when you hear the horror stories of working with that filmmaker or that writer or that actor or so on and so
4: forth. Yeah, I, everything seems really glamorous until you do it. Even with like being with people, you know, I've never had. A, there are things that artists talk about and rant about that i literally have never experienced i've only been hired by jobs that i loved i I recognized early on i'm like i'm a creative um i'm gonna be viewed as a flight risk because of how active i am no matter who hires me so i'm gonna be really picky and like i've always i've always had great jobs i've been on teams who love me like my i was at cerner my first job out of college, for example, largest healthcare IT firm in the world. It's like a great first job. I loved it. It was like a bunch of really cool women for the most part that I worked with and for. So like, you know, on a objectively, like, I don't know, masculine, whatever, whatever. It was dope, but it was also a really nurturing environment for me. And the first rap show I did in Kansas City, I was like butt crack of opener. It was like, I had like a 7.30 p.m. slot on a Friday and nobody was at the bar. And my Cerner team showed up. It was like 40 deep, came through, bought That's awesome. shots. That's so cool. Went super so cool. hard on my set, bought more shots, and then left. And I looked super good. It made me look super good. It actually really helped my rep in Kansas city from the jump. You know, I've never had that bad job thing. Every serious relationship I've been in has been with somebody who really believed in me, believed in the work I was doing. Um, still does. I'm friends with, that's to some degree with like all of my exes, you know, they come in every time thinking like I'm this strong person who's driven and motivated. And I'm like, Hey, I'm a lot to be with. I'm a lot to be with because I'm driven and motivated. And like, I'm an artist and I'm a Gemini. Like I won the I won the hard to be with lottery on my Gemini. (laughs) My college relationship was a really awesome, awesome, amazing young woman. We just had a bunch of maturity issues just like figuring out that we're both like strong willed, ambitious people and going different and like, no, I wouldn't even say going different directions. We just had a lot to figure out and she had things she wanted to do sort of thing. In this situation, you know, uh, my ex wants to be first and I totally respect it and get it. Uh, I also started my career over like a year into our relationship. So, you know, all the, you know, there are like other factors aside, but it's like, you have to, it's like, oh yeah, I seem like this really dope person to be with because I moved to a city where I knew no one and now the city's mine, you know? I'm not like the guy, but if you talk about the guys in the city, I am one of them. You know, if yeah. you want to talk about creators in Kansas City right now. And I didn't know a soul when I moved here. Four years in, it was like all this stuff was happening. And that's, I'm very thankful for a lot of that. I contribute some of that to, you know, the coal like favor concept. But I also really, really work really, really, really hard. <laughs> and that looks really cool and it looks attractive and whatnot. But the other thing is like, hey, so I'm shifting and I have to dedicate. It's not always going to be like this you know but like i have to really dedicate a lot of stuff a lot of myself to what's happening right now to make it viable because i'm not working for a construct that's already there where i go in and get paid i'm working for something that doesn't exist that i am building
2: yeah that's i mean that's why right now i'm i'm technically working three part-time jobs with my full-time gig just waiting for the moment where i can make that flick that switch and say okay this company that I started is my job now and I can like safely cut away. But like, that's scary. Like it is, mm-hmm. it is scary to go from like, I know that every other Friday, this much money will be in my bank account to like, I have no clue where the money's coming from at any given moment. I just hope that whatever I'm doing stays comfortable enough that the money is there. <laughs>
4: like I'll say, yeah, that like all facts and I'll, I'll absolutely say that like if half of the things that I had lined up for 2020 come back between 2021 and 2022 with, with what I already have going on and managed to keep going on throughout everything. Like I said, I'll be back financially at the level I was when I was working for a really high caliber financial tech startup. And awesome. it'll be off of me, it'll be like off of my creative output. And that's crazy. <laughs> you yeah, know, it, like, if you think it, about it, how, you know, my car got repossessed in 2019, I like hit rock bottom. And it was like the most embarrassing moment I've experienced in my adult life. And uh, and to look at that and look at what I'm looking at right now, just conceptually is crazy. So like it, even like being able to see it and try to hit the
1: finish line is worth it. Not even like yeah. getting there, like knowing that you've done enough to get there. or be It becomes more valuable, right? Like, I mean, it becomes more valuable to you because not only were you triumphant, but you were triumphant by your own doing. Like it was you. You did What's- that, no one else.
0: What's up, everybody? This is Brian here to tell you about our podcast, Bingetown TV.
2: I mean, to bring it back to Christmas, it's the difference between a a gift that you bought at the store and a gift that you made yourself. Speaking of
1: somebody who's just like a pure music lover, I don't think there's anyone who works harder than those in your lane right now, Desh, like with the anime, rap community, the nerdcore community. Because let's be completely honest, there's always a fine line when you're talking that subject between it being good. And, and it almost coming off as corny. Those that are good at it, you, Branson, you create these songs that not only appeal to fans of anime, but you could listen to some of those songs and not even realize that there are references to anime. I mean, I reviewed one of your records a couple of years back. I dabble in watching anime i'm not like i'm not watching it every single day like i'm behind i'm watching uh demon slayer right now and, and i'm like a couple years behind on that so i mean i'm always coming in behind but i never realize it i'm like this is this song's a bop and i'm just like i'm listening to it i'm like oh it's like it's about you being motivated you're getting out there and working and then like it'll pop up online that you put the the music video out with an animated music video. And it's like, <laughs> this is a tribute to so-and-so. And I'm like, the fuck?
4: <laughs> <laughs> the thing that we've touched on, but not completely touched on, that kind of strings actually goes back to even like to James Brown, you know, Santa Claus Comes Straight to the Ghetto, the nerdcore piece and the Mega Rand conversation. I think the common theme for all of those, for me is the representation aspect of it. And like understanding that somebody has dealt with your struggle, you know, like or like like somebody's putting your struggle out there. And that's like, even like the Snoop Dogg, uh, I forget everybody who was on that song that uh, <laughs> we were just talking about.
2: Oh, the uh, Santa Baby, yeah, yeah.
4: <laughs> like, it's having that representation there and hearing that and knowing that there are people who have made it and done cool things that are still calling back. To what you, where, where, what you see in a wholesome way. Like, I didn't, I definitely, I didn't grow up in the ghetto. I actually grew up in the country and I went to like an upper middle class school off of a zoning technicality. But my grandfather, when I started driving, he would have me uh, deliver turkeys and hams in the hood, like on Christmas and Thanksgiving. And I, I drove an 87 Oldsmobile Cutlass. So I'm like, Pop, you're risking my life because people want this car. This is like the drug dealer car. And I'd be like literally rolling up through the projects like delivering turkeys to people because my grandfather didn't feel like driving them himself,
1: (laughs) but he would. (laughs) So you're, Um, you're dealing turkeys and ham. I was dealing turkeys and ham in (laughs) high school, bro.
4: I'm not lying. Like I (laughs) promise.
1: I love it. I love it.
4: And I'm going to try to string this together quickly, but like that experience and hearing James Brown talk about that in the midst of all the happy stuff, you fast track that to Mega Rand. I had all these secret nerd raps. I'd write, and I was like, nobody wants to hear this at the time. I was starting a band that would end up becoming one of the more popular bands in Tuscaloosa while I was in college. We were the only like hip hop band. I didn't realize how rare I was then. I just started like in Tuscaloosa.
1: Nobody raps and plays trombone. I didn't realize it. Like nobody raps and plays trombone.
3: <laughs> like, <laughs>
1: well, <laughs> well, that's like, like one of my one of my favorite bands. I was in that lane was Kids these days. Mm -hmm. And then Vic Mensa leaves kids these days. And I'm like, what the hell, man? Like you had this thing and I loved it. I loved it so much. I'm in Tuscaloosa
4: and I have these secret nerd raps and people are thinking I'm going to be like Dave Matthews route, except as a rapper sort of thing. And I hear Mega Ran and like I was aware of Nerdcore, but like I see this black guy dominating and nerdcore spaces sounding like West Philly hip hop, and it was really inspiring to me. Um, like it, like the Black Material remake came out, you know, and I'm on it. I'm on that album, yeah. and that album literally is what made me start. What was the the last straw that made me start doing nerdcore? So it's a really, you know, I still trip off the fact that I'm on the remake of that album. Like I emailed Mega and I emailed Mega when I was in grad school starting grad school in 2011, asked him if he took interns. And he sent me this really awkward response. And then, like, we're in a hotel room at MAGFest in, like, 2016. And I'm like, hey, you remember when I emailed you about in- being an intern? <laughs> so then that represents from an representation <laughs> standpoint to, like, me and, and a lot of the people, especially, like, uh, people of color and Black people doing this music, because what, people like ran have done and that we've continued is like a lot of this has become about inspiration from representation i i honestly this is me i i don't think nerdcore would be nearly as prominent as it still is as a subgenre if people like ran hadn't brought more people from like grimier sides of nerd into hip-hop it would have fizzled out 100 Um, and so many people right now like every time i go anywhere I talk to black and brown nerds who are like, "Yo, you're doing it, and it inspired me to do it because I see you," and that's just like really powerful. And I think like that's where all this stuff matters. And I and I have like a different experience from a lot of people I talk to, being like from the bottom of the state of Alabama, growing up. Like, I actually was just on a different podcast. We were talking about uh, Judas and the Black Messiah, and. This is like a super leftist podcast. Um, I wouldn't consider myself quite as leftist as the guys who host the podcast, but I'm pretty, you know, I'm pretty over there relative yeah. to the rest of America. I feel like I feel like, <laughs> yeah. like yeah. in <laughs> reference to the developed world, I'm probably slightly left of center. But re- in America, I'm like far left because we're so far right yeah. in the country. Yeah. But one of the things that we were talking about is like just looking, this is really it's really cool to see a lot of the conversation happening right now because i grew up in the woods around a lot of like a family that was basically poor black people, poor white people, poor red people. I'm like an eighth Cherokee. There's a lot of na- native Americans around where i grew up. Uh my great grandmother is like was like a full-blooded Cherokee <laughs> and uh my my great grandfather is like black, but like his great his grandfather was white, so it's like, you know, i'm a mutt. Uh, and you had like poor black people, poor white people. When my grandmother was growing up, they all raised each other's kids. And the first dividing line I ever saw with any of them was Trump because Trump was such a cult of personality and really, really stoked the flames of nationalism and and whatnot. But everybody was poor until they weren't. So it's like, yeah. well, you know, like my side of my family isn't necessarily poor, but the family grew up poor. I have cousins who went to the nfl and started businesses and i have cousins who got strung out on meth strung out on crack dealt drugs, dealt hella drugs or whatever but there was never like a sense of racism in there but i'd go down the street like 10 miles to go to school in the burbs and it was hella racist so like it really so growing up i eventually understood it as i started like reading more but like you really saw classism and racism as a system to uphold classism that superseded the classism. All of this is like in this same like messy little bowl for me. If you think about like why Santa Claus goes straight to the ghetto mattered to me yeah. as a kid. Yeah, it's really. I, I think the conversations right now are really cool because people are being forced to look at all of it because the, like the pandemic made the class warfare situation really obvious to a lot of people, and then everything that's happened since then, even like this thing in Texas, it's like. Oh, Texas deregulated their utilities. And and now, you know, you've got some some billionaires like out here really charging people $10,000 for their failure to keep them warm in a frozen temperature. You know, like there's that. But there's also, you know, people like there's a lot of structural racism and like I'm so glad like like that real estate institutional racism is a mainstream conversation now. because yeah. That's the thing that never got to policy. If you look at the civil rights movement, like no civil rights movement ever got to real estate, like none of them. Yeah. And that's the biggest thing because that's how wealth is passed on predominantly. And if you think about 60% of American wealth being inherited, you know, my my ex was able to, to get racks for the down payment on the house we got from a family member. And that's like inconceivable to any Black person I know, even like the ones who have hella money. There's not a system in place for that yet with us because like every, you know, and this isn't me, I could have made way better money decisions in my life. But there's like every time that Black Americans have built wealth and it looked like, hey, Black Americans are about to start having generational wealth. It has been like deliberately and blatantly destroyed.
2: Oh, this was the year that I found out that what twenty minutes from my house in Philadelphia, like all they the just bombs. straight <laughs> bombed of fucking yeah, like, yeah, like, yeah. Like, yeah. I was like, wait, what? And then you, you're like, oh my god, like stuff like that. Like Black Wall Street had no clue. You know what I mean? Like there's all this stuff that I learned and. I feel very blessed and lucky, like a side gig that I do is I I teach a youth group at my local church. All Mm -hmm. these kids who are 15 and 16 are like pushing, like, I want to know about the stuff that my public school isn't teaching me history wise. And it gives me such a hope for the future that this generation is so more outspoken than I was. To follow up what you're saying, Matt, is the biggest
1: negative I take away from losing my students because I teach sixth grade English is the fact that when everything is happening in the world, I'm not there to help them understand what's yeah. happening in the world. I live in a predominantly conservative area. Matt, you can attest. I live yeah. in the middle of, for lack of a better term, East Bumfuck. Like I mean, I it yeah. is country. Like I literally walked up the street. I snapped the other day on Snapchat. Somebody has a flag up. It was a Trump flag. Now it's a fuck Biden flag. It's like, okay, so you don't actually have your informed opinions. What you have is you're on this side. And I'm my stubborn ass is not going to listen to anything that anybody else has to say. It's so
4: funny to me that like you have super super conservative. Actually, I let me let me backtrack. I think Trump changed a lot of that because in my in my experience, a lot of the agrarian people that I encountered growing up, and granted, I was way less politically aware, but the Trumpism seems to have really brought out their nationalism, whereas nothing else did. Because before that, I remember I I distinctly remember my. You know, my black grandparents and uncles and aunts talking to, like, you know, really, really, like, entrenched rednecks. Like, and they were... They were renting or launching off of my grandmother's property, so here's a bunch of like redneck white people you know renting from a black woman, and it's fine. we're all kicking it. they're all drinking beer, talking about how funny it is that Republicans consistently vote against their own self interests and you know blue collar is still blue collar, and it doesn't matter what side of the aisle you are on, and that sort of thing and then Trump comes along and suddenly it's like you lives you know it like. Yep. Boom, yeah, um, it's really 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 fascinating and i i i know that i mean there's already writing about it but there's going to be a, i think there's going to be a lot of writing on it but especially coming from that into an urban environment in kansas city where like a lot of the people that i really work with are guys who survived like shootouts and stuff and now they teach kids through hip-hop and they're rappers you know yeah, yeah. but where that all like smashes together is I think the impact potential because to your to your point, Matt, the Zoomers are are way more like radical. It kind of I feel like millennials are similar to the Silent Generation that like came into adulthood around World War One and birth the boomers but like the back half of that generation was the generation that like fought world war ii and then you know had kids and marched in the civil rights movement and like all that stuff i feel like we're seeing something similar to that and it's really powerful to look at how the access to in- information and synthesizing and pulling the pulling what can be pulled together from everything that's happening and try to push it forward from an impact standpoint We're really dealing with an opportunity for people to be aware and look past platitude based politics and platitude based policy and actually care about policy from the local level up. I say that because it's like if you say, like, you listen to all this music, listen to all the things that artists like myself and people much bigger than me talk about, the question now is it used to be like, oh, that's really sad, that's really infuriating going about my business. Now it's like, oh, that's really sad and infuriating. What can I do about it? Well, the most immediate thing I could do about it is be involved locally and like help people I can help, yes, but also be involved in local policy and whatnot because you can immediately impact that. And saying that 10 years ago, I remember when I was in college, everybody ignored that. And I ignored it largely until SOPA and PIPA, which pissed me off because I knew I wanted to make money from internet content at some point in my life. So I actually called my Congress people for the first time when SOPA and PIPA were in play in like 2011, I think. But now it's like, I meet hella college students who are like, oh yeah, I'm voting on Amendment One. You know, and it's like special election that only matters to Kansas City. That I think is the difference. I, and I really think that's why all of this matters that we're talking about. Like It all yeah. boils down to like that little specific thing
1: consistently, if that makes sense. And th- that was my fear. That's what I was kind of getting at is with my students being forced at home. I'm not saying their parents have the worst opinions, but they're always just getting that one opinion, just constantly at home, not coming to school, not getting that that guidance that I feel like certain educators can provide, can explain like, this is why this is wrong. Here's how we yeah. can move forward. Here's how we fix this. Here's how we can be involved. And instead, in this area, they are getting that one side.
2: It's so funny that people will attack college as, quote unquote, like brainwashing kids or forcing kids to to become liberals when it's like. So your your definition of brainwashing is letting them realize that there's another <laughs> option. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> but That's one of the problems. What you just said, Matt, is like, oh, there's two ways to think about this. There's not there's. Yeah thousands of ways to think about this and the problem that i'm seeing again it's because everybody now has a voice and some of the voices are
2: not as educated the internet is both the greatest gift and the biggest curse to the yeah, world exactly
1: <laughs> like, as the <laughs> is, like as soon as you see whoever's running for president like you're, you're voting for your political party like people aren't listening to the like the issues, the policies. They're just like, nope, this is the person yeah. that represents me and that's who I'm gonna vote for and everything else. Literally we were warned about this hundreds of years ago, not to have political parties.
2: <laughs> you know, it's great, it's great in one sense because it allows someone like me, Matt Kelly to like hear other people's voices that I never knew were out there and like grow and learn from it. But it also means that like Cletus who's been keeping his like really deep-seated racist opinions to himself finds out that there's like 40 other people that think that exact same thing and he's like oh fuck i knew i was right
1: hey man i never listen to my own advice but i'll always say don't read the fucking comments my
2: favorite thing is that there's gonna be people sitting here are like man they haven't talked about that james brown song (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I keep trying but, to bring it back a little bit, like a yeah, yeah. way. All of this is tied to that James Brown song. Like yeah, it, it is, yeah.
1: it is. All right, all right, all right. So as we wrap it up, I do want let, let's let's bring up the mood a little bit. One more thing you had mentioned to me, Dash, that you wanted to talk about was video games on Christmas morning, which was a conversation oh, that Matt Matt and I had a couple weeks ago, closer to the season. But I want to hear your thoughts. So that is actually the only consistent
4: christmas tradition i have in my life is that christmas morning i play video games that are new to me and that's been the case since my mom got me a sega genesis when i was five and i had i think it was sonic 2 and a tetris ripoff called columns i think i remember Um, Columns. Yeah, i actually if i remember right there was a guy who was friends with my grandmother and grandfather called him mr jack and he was a brick mason and um, he died of cancer when I was like seven or eight, and I, I really loved this guy. And he had a really peculiar way of talking. He'd be like, "Yeah, you know, go get me a beer, man." You know, sort of situation. He'd be like, "Hey, yo, you walk over to that refrigerator and get me a beer, man." But it was me, you know. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah. I'm like four, you know. And i was like, yo, man, you know. <laughs> <laughs> like, like Terrence Howard memes, you know. <laughs> and um, <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure Mr. Jack helped my mom get this Sega, if I remember right. You know, it's been I'm 31, so like it's been a, it's been a little bit, but five to 31, I've played video games every Christmas morning, every single one, and it's been different people, but that is like my thing. That's my like, I'm gonna sit down and connect with what's going on by enjoying something for myself and doing a little what we'd, I guess, you know, we'd call self-care now. Um, The biggest one, honestly, that I might be talking about this to the day I die, Christmas 2017, uh, my ex got me The Witcher 3. I I'd wanted to play it for a while and I, I got rid of my systems a little before grad school. It was actually like before my senior year of college. But then the grads grad goes like I'm going to fail out. So I'm definitely not doing anything gaming wise. But then I didn't I didn't game on my own without like being at somebody's house or going somewhere in public until 2016 where the first couple gift that we really got uh was uh her mom getting us a PS4. The Witcher 3, I'd wanted to play it for a while and people told me that it was really good but i really didn't i really wasn't prepared for how good it was and so this is christmas morning and uh, my ex my ex her mom and two of her cousins they're like she's an only child so like these two cousins are like her sisters they have all these like girl time plans or whatever that they literally did not do and sat there and drank and watched me play the witcher 3 <laughs> <laughs> like this entire this entire holiday, like Christmas to past New Year's. It was like a week of of basically them drinking and watching me play the Witcher 3 because it was that good to them and to me. That probably is my <laughs> my most prominent gaming memory because I mean, y'all
1: have been with people. You understand how ridiculous that statement I just made is. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, I get it. The Witcher 3. I have started that game three or four times. And I'll get done like the first like quarter of that game and then fall off and start something else and then never get back to it. So one day, one day I'm going to sit down, (laughs) put The Witcher 3 on and actually play it. I I was talking to my buddy Derek the other day. My backlog of games that I have to play is absolutely ridiculous because I can't focus. I can't. There, especially nowadays, there's so much. There's so much. <laughs> new, there's so much new content for everything that like, people all the time. Did you watch this yet? No, I didn't watch that. You, like, there's so much, and
4: <laughs>
1: I like. I find myself.
4: Uh, my thing has been catching up on games. So my goal, getting the PS4, was to catch up on. I knew. I knew that I wouldn't catch up in time. So my goal has been to. Get through all of the game of the year candidates from the 2010s decade, all of them, and I'm I'm pretty close now. I've played, I like the the thing I was missing that was really glaring was uh playing the the Last of Us, but then the, the remastered version was on sale for Black Friday for like ten dollars, yeah, and so I took care of that, <laughs> and now so now I'm just looking at 2019 and 2020 games that I have this huge backlog, except. For Red Dead 2, which I'm playing right now, I catch myself checking my phone while playing video games. I'm like, what kind of conundrum is this? I'm literally escaping (laughs) from my reality and I'm escaping from my escape from my reality to check my phone. Like what? December to probably mid to late January, I really like isolated myself a lot. For my social circles, just to like try to process some things and like force myself to actually face a lot of stuff, given my situation, partially because I didn't want to be, I don't, I don't have time to be out here six to nine months from now and have stuff that I haven't processed hit me in the face. I really do not have time for that at all. So I, I basically like tried to do my best to force myself to deal with a few things, and obviously that's not like over. But one of the things I notice now, you know, there's the shift in what I'm checking for on socials, but also like, even in this conversation, like I find myself being more transparent about like the shift and where I am versus like not saying anything to anybody, partially because I didn't want anybody to know for a little bit, but also because like, I was really, really afraid of having to talk about anything associated with it because I didn't think I could handle it. Internalizing
2: Um, will kill
4: you. And it'll destroy (laughs) you. It'll completely destroy you. Whereas now it's kind of like I'm trying to update people so that there's not assumptions because of how much of a unit I was in. But also there's like a, a bit of a healing process from just like being comfortable talking about things that don't exist anymore that are part of your makeup. Cause like, I've been way more open about it on my likes on my social situation, as far as like just connecting dots and what I'm doing. And that that's been, and the responses to that have been really critical too. So it's been cool. I guess from a positive standpoint to like be in that space. That being said, I think there is like this like phone notification anxiety thing that I don't know how to, I don't know if there's like a, a diagnosis for that. <laughs> I cannot shut off
1: my notifications right now. I've got Wario64 on Twitter. <laughs> who's who's going to tell me when PS5s are actually in stock? <laughs> <laughs> I can't turn off my notifications. The PS5, I did not think the PS5 would
4: be such a blessing. It was like, you know, God really was looking out for your boy. Because the, the PS4 sales with the PS5 came out. Like I was like basically doing praise dances in my room. I'm like, this is ten dollars. I got like nine blockbuster games for like a hundred and forty dollars.
2: So let's talk about where can people go to check out your music, and how about you give us a little setup on the song that we're gonna play ourselves out to? Yeah, just
4: a minute, Mrs. Claus. So you can find me at everything Kadesh Flow at Kadesh Flow K A D E S H F L O W or slash Kadesh Flow. It's all very consistent. If you are on streaming platforms, just search Kadesh Flow, all of that. And um, everything you can, the hub that you can get to everything at is www.kadeshflow.com. This song uh, is actually part of a two pack that my buddies and I have the Enclave, which you should also look up, enclave.wtf <laughs> on everything, uh, if I'm not mistaken. We, we, don't, we haven't done a whole lot from a social standpoint, but it's basically myself, Bill Beats out of Seattle atlas out of atlanta and andrew the only out of atlanta and a lot of the stuff that i've worked on in the last three years has involved in them atlas and i work together all the time and bill the beats and i work together all the time andrew is actually the guy who inspired me to start performing live ever in the first place at the university of alabama he's a couple years older than me phenomenal performer who was a musical theater kid and then got a business major and, you know, he went a different route and has, has been kind of getting back in the music. But when we were in college, he was like the guy, rapper-wise, at the University of Alabama. We're doing a lot together these days, and there's a lot of unreleased material. I will say, sidebar, that we, uh, landed, a, we landed a sync licensing representation deal and in March, right before shutdowns. Like, I was literally at PAX East, and I was super stoked about being at PAX East. And our rep like emailed or called me, I don't remember which one it was, and was like, yeah, Fox Sports just cleared one of your songs, and they want to use it for football season this year, uh, which would have materially changed our lives. Not that like one song will do it for forever, but like just getting in the door with what that situation was was huge. Pandemic happens, Fox Sports goes under, Fox sells Fox Sports to Sinclair Media, our deal gets killed. So like, that's one of the things I was looking at in 2020. That's a sidebar. But there's the Enclave and Kadesh Flow. We've got stuff coming. Um, This song was an Enclave thing where we were like, oh, let's do some Christmas music. So we did this, Just a Minute Mrs. Claus, Grinding to Give. That was in late 2019. And then in 2020, we did Lit for the Holidays, which we actually wrote back then. It was weird listening to it this year because it's it's basically about me getting drunk with my ex's mom on Christmas, which is what normally would happen. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But, like, (laughs) it's a a banger, though. But just a minute, Mrs. Claus, is me thinking about um, my former relationship and how bad I can be with time. And then thinking about Santa Claus and Mrs. Claus conceptually, and how like she probably just roasts this dude every time he comes home from delivering gifts. It's like, oh, you're so awesome, you deliver gifts to everybody, but like, why did you take so long? Y'all, y'all know what I'm talking about. So I was just, like <laughs> thinking about that, and, I, and so I wrote that. I wrote this song.
1: Well, <laughs> dude, honestly, cannot thank you enough for joining us. This has been absolutely incredible. I hope. January 2022, you and I can hang out at Magfest. Fingers crossed that it's <laughs> happening because I mean, not only pandemic-wise, but Magfest kind of imploded from the inside for a minute there. But uh, oh
4: my god,
1: oh my god. <laughs> it sounds like things are uh, are building back up in a more positive way. So hopefully, 2022, we can hang out in person. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, I I appreciate both of you for uh, having me on this. I like
2: super super fun combo. Of course, Merry okay. Christmas, everybody! <laughs> Merry Christmas, guys! <laughs> just a minute, Mrs. Claus. Mrs. Claus. Mrs. Claus.
3: Just a minute, Mrs. Claus. I'll just be gone for- Ages ago, uh-huh. he was waving that bay from the snow, uh-huh. had all eight reindeer in tow, uh-huh. gifts piled up in the sleigh for the road, uh-huh. she was looking just a little apprehensive, there could be perils on a journey out to gift give, but he knew that he was blessed for this, her too, but the stress is hit, gave her forehead a kiss and said, just a minute Mrs. Claus, now you've been involved, hey. from the jump this was our cause, giving is our charge, for this together, now it's time to step into forever. Don't worry, not a little bit because. It's been happening for ages, uh-huh. the kids read of Santa on their pages, uh-huh. Santa's looking older, he's been aging, uh-huh. but to him Mrs. Claus looks the same as she did back all those years ago, way back before the legend rose, now she smiles as he gets all his gifts in tow, holding milk and cookies for the road, he stopped her and said, just, just a minute Mrs. Claus, for you get involved, hey. Like Kids hate, sit these yeah. out, uh, cookies, milk, and uh, hey. I gotta save room for the tasting yeah. Thanks for being such a sweet lady yeah. Leave a mouth for when I'm back, baby I'll just be gone for a minute I'll just be gone for a minute I know it's every Christmas That it happens like this Nowadays as he tries the globe Giving toys, games, and clothes All he thinks about is home Where his soul makes all the long As he wraps up, he phones home and says Baby, look, I'm coming through I got you on the honeydews And then I've got some plans for you Yeah I'll just be gone for a minute Just for a minute Yeah Christmas, that it happens like this
0: what's up everybody this is brian here to tell you about our podcast bingetown tv our hosts include seven best friends with a love for all things television we cover a range of genres with a focus on fantasy and sci-fi but also dip our feet into drama, horror, comedy, and pretty much anything we think is good television. We use the traditional deep dive formula for new live shows that are released week to week, but our calling card is our Rooks and Vets and Pitchtown TV series. Rooks and Vets pairs two of our hosts that have seen a show with two of our hosts that have not seen a show. Pitchtown TV is when we have a special guest pitch us a show by having us watch the pilot and trying to convince us to watch the rest. If you're craving more content on some of your favorite TV shows, then you should listen to Bingetown TV. Find us on our website at bingetowntv.com, the Apple Podcast app, Spotify, or wherever else you may find your podcast.